0: You are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek.
1: Hey, hey, everybody. This is Melissa. And this is Dane. We're glad to be back with you. We had a lot of fun with our last podcast. I guess we should give an update. If you listened to the last one, the poop story, all the poop turned out okay. Yeah. (laughs) So that was good. Somehow.
2: Somehow. Yeah.
1: And you moved hay today for me.
2: Yeah, we had 70 bales left over from the cutting we had just gotten.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Moved 40 bales down to the big barn, 30 to the small barn. The conex is empty and ready for the spring cutting. Ooh.
1: That's a lot of sexy talk to a cowgirl, I'll tell you. Have a man with upper body strength willing to do horsey chores for you. It's the best. It's absolutely the best. Yeah, we have new hay coming in. Hay's pretty high this year. Wherever you live in the country, I know hay's high this year. And we have both our Arizona facility, which brings in about two semi loads every six weeks into that place, about $16,000 worth of hay right now on the market. We bring one truck of Bermuda and one of alfalfa for all the horses that live there. For our personal farm and our personal horses here, we go through about 450 bales a year and then we feed also pellets. And so we do a combination feed on everybody and we go through about 12 tons of pellets in a year as well. So it keeps us busy and we're supplying and supporting the feed organization, right, for the world. Thanks for the feedback. The last call that we did, we talked about a blended family, forming our blended family. little bit of the things we learned and some of the experiences we had with our incredible kids. And I thought that some natural spin out from that, speaking to a friend of mine named Barbara, she said, you know, you guys are an unusual family because you're a successful entrepreneur. Dane is a long-term U.S. government employee and your younger son works for a top corporation and your other son is an entrepreneur. So, you know, we're just kind of blended in that way too, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. kind of different. So for you, you shared last time you went to work for the United States government. You were living in Norfolk, Virginia at the time, and you were four months out of high school. So what did you see when you saw working for the Gov? What attracted you to that?
2: Well, I was a baseball player at the time. huh. I wanted to go to some type of college or training program that had a baseball program there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was accepted into an apprenticeship at the Newport News shipbuilding and Dry Dock. Oh. So I went there and then they had a baseball team that would actually play against colleges. That was my initial intention. But then I had another opportunity to start an apprenticeship with the Department of Defense, which was a lot closer to where I was living. Oh, yeah. And I chose that.
1: So just opportunity, basically just following through the opportunities. And I don't remember you ever playing for the Padres or the Dodgers or anything. So the baseball career didn't work out so well. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) I went to my first professional baseball game the other day in California. Dane took me to the Dodgers-Padres baseball game. I had a blast. I hadn't been to a pro baseball game and I just had so much fun. I hope you'll take me again. Yeah. Yeah, It it was was a lot of fun. Really, really fun. So one thing about The government is, it's certainly been steady. Have you ever thought about leaving it? I mean, I should know some of these things being with you 18 years, but did you ever think about leaving it and going into the private sector to work? Or has it always felt like just a good pathway for you? I ended up
2: getting my associate's degree and then later in life started taking college classes at the university and sort of found out that that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. I mean, just because, you
1: know? Because there's no baseball in adult college. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's fun because you and I are so opposite. Like school was always big for me. I graduated summa cum laude out of both my master's degrees. I mean, I've just always been a school geek. I've always loved school and I never did baseball. So we're very different right. <laughs> in that. Working for the government has worked out really well for you. I do know you played rugby for a long time. I always work into our podcast. He's in the Hall of Fame and rugby. But when you were playing on your Virginia uh, rugby team, you You had shared with me when we were dating that some of the guys you played with were really successful entrepreneurs. Oh, definitely. And you kind of questioned, you know, did I make the right choice? Like that game of life we used to play with the kids and it would have the career track and the college track and, you know, kind of which way you went.
2: Well, I I did start a small business where I owned quite a few Coca-Cola vending machines. Mm -hmm. And I was attempting to take that somewhere and I ended up selling the business for profit, of course, Yeah. before I moved out to Colorado. Right. So.
1: And definitely before you knew me, because I could have helped you really spin that thing. Right. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So it's worked out well. So I tell you, I don't know, I tell you, you got the last laugh because... Most of your buddies who have been good, successful entrepreneurs are paying through the nose for their health insurance and yours is included in your pension. So you have 80% of your salary for the rest of your life, plus the government hired you back as a contractor, plus health insurance. I really think in a lot of ways you played the safe hand, but it was a smart hand to play. It's worked out well, you know, for you. It has worked out well. For sure. But none of our three children went the government route. And I thought it might be kind of fun to kind of talk a little bit about how our kids were raised and what they've done and kind of what's worked out. Because basically 15% of Americans work for the US government and another, a little over 15% work for the individual state governments. So almost over 30% of people, a third of the country work for either the state or the federal government. So it's quite a few people choose those career paths, whether it's pension involvement, the steadiness, the opportunity, whatever it is that feels right for them. And they go that direction. And thank goodness, because they do a lot of things for the rest of us, such as fire, postal service, police, road work, and what you do, which is working in the water of the West, working in the water lab, the Bureau of Reclamation water lab for the US government. That's what you do, right? You're not really a spy, are you? No, (laughs) not a spy. Because you would not be a it's very good spy. It's actually called
2: the Bureau of Reclamation, Dam, Spillways, and Irrigation.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. You would not make a good spy because you can't even play poker. Hey, but you don't have a poker I cannot face. cannot keep a secret. Right. No. Yeah. So not definitely not. So So not a spy material. But that has been a career path. And then a lot of people that I meet and you meet, but a lot of people that I meet and work with have chosen the corporate route. So they've gone to work with a corporation. Sometimes they've switched between corporations in an industry. And some of them have done extremely well working up the corporate ladder. And I'm going to say learning corporate speak and the game of working for large corporations in America, which can be good, bad, or ugly. You know, it can be any of those three things. So that's another route. And certainly the entrepreneur route is not without risk. And the people that have chosen either to go into small business for themselves, so they own a coffee shop or a restaurant or a dry cleaners or all the millions of things that we all buy from and use for services every day are small business owners and they've chosen that route. The entrepreneur route is Probably the highest risk and a little strange route. And I'm going to tell a story on you. Do you remember that one of your friends at the government, when we were first dating, you were trying to tell them what I did? You said, She's a psychotherapist, but she's in business for herself and she does all this other stuff. Do you remember how you expressed that to Marty? How you told what you told? He said, What does she do? Do you remember what you said? I remember,
2: (laughs) I think I remember saying that. You make things up and you get paid for it.
1: And that's is that a, is that not that's right? The, yeah, that's the cleaned up version. But yeah, you makes she makes s up and gets paid really well for it. So yeah, pretty much. So it, what you were looking at was I was an innovator and in creating new things all the time, right? Yeah. Right. And creating, and I've always been really good at innovation and creating. You know, the next product, the next book, the next whatever, the next program, and kind I, of. I still going don't in that know what direction. you do. But you know I'm good at it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So that's it. So here are our children who have been influenced by us, right? And I'm kind of interested in what the three of them chose and how they chose it. And thank goodness, both of our sons chose really well in their wives. So that's been really nice. And kind of chatting through that just a little bit, are you up for that topic today? Certainly. All right. So oldest is my son, Cody. Cody. And some of this you may or may not know, but he actually went to an alternative high school when we moved to Cave Creek, Arizona, and our ranch in Cave Creek is still the one that I refer to sometimes in the podcast, and he had a passion for bikes and for cycling and mountain biking And that school had, at the time when he started there, 23 kids. It was started by some professors out of Arizona State University, so their own kids could get a really good high school education but not go the traditional track. And their school sport was mountain biking. So it was just such a perfect fit for him. The school grew over the years that his freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years of high school, the school grew quite a bit. And he was honored when he graduated with a full scholarship to the university. And of course, we were really proud of him. His father and I had been divorced for many years. And he saw Cody taking advantage of that scholarship, of course. Like, how, you know, your kid gets a university scholarship. I'm the daughter of a college professor. So... Of course, it seemed logical that we'd be like, yay, you know, you can go do that. Cody came in at that time in his life, young and just out of high school, pretty sad about getting the scholarship because what he had a passion for was the mountain biking. He was excelling at it. He was doing well with it and he wanted to make a career of it. So it's a little bit like your daughter saying, hey, I'm singing pretty good on uh, TikTok and I want to be a professional singer. Some really make that happen and it's good, but most parents would say, Hey, you just got a full ride, you know, to a university. Why don't you do that first? And then double back into this. He made a very good case with me. He said, I can't do that. I need to ride 600 miles a week. And build long-term muscle over many, many years to get anywhere in the sport. And it was an education for me. And I asked him a thousand questions. He had always been a very goal-oriented kid. And so if he set a goal on something he was passionate about, I had no doubt he was going to accomplish it. So I slept on it a few nights. And my reply to him was, you know, universities have been there for hundreds of years. They'll be there if this career doesn't work out for you. You could always double back and get that college education. And so at that time, you may have to work to pay for it and all of that. You're letting go of the money of the scholarship. But the next person in your class who would qualify for this scholarship, it may make the difference for them in going to the university or not. And it did. So he passed on the scholarship and went to a fellow classmate and he set out to be a a professional mountain biker. Now, he also was really good in golf. He'd be a bazillionaire today if he had put as much time, effort, and focus on his golf dream instead of the cycling dream. But his passion was really the cycling, and he was really, really good at it. So first thing I wanted to do being a coach and being a therapist was I looked up, is there such a thing as a professional coach? for mountain bikers. I had no idea if there was or there wasn't. And we found this incredible cycling coach, street cycling, road cycling, and mountain, Dr. Arnie Baker in San Diego. And so I contacted Dr. Baker, talked to him about what Cody wanted to do. Cody rode for him. He agreed Cody could be one of his protege. And Cody never looked back. He loved, Arnie Baker still does, loved Dr. Baker and really listened to him, really understood and learned a A lot from him. And he went on to develop, well, over the years, he won national championships and he went on to develop a very strong company that he coaches endurance athletes today with his wife, Kathy. I'll tell one funny story and then we'll go through Kevin's life. Kathy sees Cody living a few doors down in a house. And he's mowing the front yard without a shirt on, is the story I heard. And he's tan, and he's fit, and he's buff, and she's there. Now, Kathy was divorced. She had two twin daughters about the age four and a beautiful daughter the age six, and she's a single mom. And she was actually, if I remember right, she was coaching a boys' basketball team at a boys' school and doing really well and very much into sports, but you know, she rode bikes, but not like... He rode bikes And she met him And they started cycling together And they fell in love And today she is a full partner with him The kids are grown now Young adults Baby adults as I call them They're nineteen, going, turning on 19 Well she's and a national champion She's a well. national yeah. champion She learned that from Cody Put the time in Put the effort in Had a back surgery along the way I mean she's an amazing Amazing young woman in her own right A fabulous mother And so they were went through doing all of that. And today they have a large team. They travel all around the country and coach others in endurance cycling. And he's a guest on a bunch of podcasts and stuff. And we'll give the name of his podcast at the end of this one. He and Kathy run a really fun podcast. If you're into endurance sports at all, it's a great podcast for that purpose. So here was Cody and he he went the entrepreneur route. He went the becoming a coach route. Set his goals. Doing really well. They just bought a beautiful trailer. What was it, how many feet is it? I forget. I think now. it's a thirty-footer. Yeah, so they have yeah. a big truck and a brand new thirty-foot. Toy hauler that they go to all the professional mountain bike races in, and they're just an incredible couple and, and really do well. Are one of the twin girls grew up to also be a mountain biker. She has aspirations for going in the Olympics in mountain biking and rode for the United States in Italy last summer. So she's a tremendous young, beautiful girl, and doing really well with that. I think watching me as an entrepreneur and being in that influence of setting goals and going through all that had an influence on him. And combined with Dr. Baker's very good influence at just the right time, he's become a force to reckon with. So that's Cody's story. And we're really proud of him and hope he's very proud of himself. So Kevin, we told in the last podcast a little bit about how he struggled in junior high, like a lot of boys do. And then he he jumped on it in high school, didn't he? He did oh, yeah. really, really yeah. well.
2: He was smoking it in high school.
1: I don't know if that's the right expression. <laughs> but he, he did. Pr- very he probably well. was, but we didn't catch you. We didn't know. So, Kevin, yeah. if you were, we still don't want to know. So, yeah, he did really well. And he had, I think he had a very traditional high school experience and that he went to the prom and, you know, he did all the things kids should do in high school. Exactly. Including some goofy stuff. I remember he and his guy friends had this thing about drinking a gallon of milk. It was all over the internet. If you could drink a gallon of milk without barfing or something. So they'd go in the park with their gallons of milk. I mean, they they were just traditional all-American tipping cow kids. So they they did really well with that. And then he finished up and right away got accepted into Colorado State University.
2: Right. Uh, One of my bigger regrets in life was that I didn't graduate from college. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that I was able to give him that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then after finishing college, he could do anything he wanted to do. Yeah, right. I wanted him to have that.
1: And of course, he made the dean's list there and everything else. He had some funny college stories. So, you know, I know he had different roommates. We went to the parents tour of the university day, and it was so much fun to see that really beautiful, incredible campus and got him enrolled in some programs that were Really support him. He lived in the dorm and, and then he got that goofy house with his roommates. And it was, do you remember that house? It was on a really busy street that they rented and it was right next to the Taco Bell. Right, right. <laughs> and he used to love Taco Bell. He used to, but that got him over it. <laughs> he became a foodie <laughs> after that house because I think what got him more was you'd sit in his little living room because we'd go up to take him out for hamburger or something. And he'd sit, sit in the little living room and you could hear them go, May I help you? Well, that's three tacos and a burrito. I mean, he was over it. That was night and day next to that Taco Bell. But it's what a college kid can afford, right? So he was in there and just made his way. And then right, well, he had an incredible graduation and then landed a good job in Houston, Texas. I don't think we ever dreamt that he'd live in Houston. No, I thought,
2: he, I thought he was going to be, you know, just Denver. a local boy. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Just never, I, I think it just never occurred to us that he would live in Houston. I mean, Houston's one of the largest cities in the United States, and so we packed him up. You drove him there with all his belongings at the time, right? right? A couple-day trip to get him in there. And do you remember taking him to... I mean, you tried not to be a helicopter dad, but you took him to his first... First day of his corporate job as a college graduate, his dad's taken him to the thing. Hey,
2: and I had my suit on too.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I think we kind of made it. And I made- had
2: to sit out. I had to sit out in the waiting room.
1: You would have gone in with him. Oh, my God. He would have gone in with him to meet his new boss. That's sad. But you finally tore yourself away yeah. and came on back. But you helped him. It was good because you helped him get a an apartment. And he knew he could afford a, like a studio apartment. And I was concerned about that because he's a big, cute kid. And I said, you know, you want a one-bedroom. You don't want to have all your belongings like in a hotel room. So we helped him. We paid the difference and helped him. Get a one bedroom in this fancy Houston apartment complex with a workout center and a pool. And he thought he was all that, didn't he? And a bag of chips. And he went to work and did well. He did really well. He met Paula during that time right I believe he did I think he met Paula during that time and I forget he met her on I want to say Tinder but I may be wrong is that right? I think you're right I think that's right but anyway what a match made in heaven they are so cute together and, and so happy they both beam at each other and this was a number of years ago they got married during the pandemic and so they've been married a little over a year now but they just beam at each other they do so so well and she was working as a hairstylist and doing well, but working for another owner of a salon. And basically he, he told her when to come to work, how long to be at work, what days she had to come. He was basically a boss. And she was pretty unhappy because the first year they were together, we invited them both to come home for Christmas and she couldn't. The guy wanted her to work Christmas, Christmas day. Eve day. Yeah. yeah. And Christmas day, it was crazy. So I remember asking her, well, why don't you go out on your own? Oh no, I can't do that. She was really concerned about could she survive, you know, kind of out on her own. So we went through that with her into her first journey of really being self-employed entrepreneur with her own part of a salon. And she's done extremely well, like not just a little well, but really well. And she's in, I guess, not all cities have them, but Houston has this very upscale mall, the kind of mall that has the stores you look in and go, people really pay those prices for that, but but nice. And then she, her salon is next to that and it's a big building. It's like a big building with a central registration desk and then you go up and she has her frosted glass door and her beautiful little salon and, and people go in and get their hair done and their car is valeted for them and everything is done and they go shop and have a good time. So it's really a neat location and she does beautiful work there. So she learned a lot I think from working for someone else in a salon to working for herself
0: right right Right.
1: yeah and that got kevin thinking
0: Touched by a Horse offers three comprehensive programs giving you the ability to have the career you've always dreamed about, working in partnership with the Magic of Horses. Our equine facilitator program provides you with the skills to build a thriving business hosting group experiences with horses. So
1: his next venture, I, I, how would you say it? I would say he felt that he felt a little unseen where he was working, un, undervalued, unseen. And, and there wasn't a lot of opportunity for him to move up. Or, and right. he's, he's a go-getter. Exactly. You know? So you told him what? Yeah. Gave him some advice. Uh, he, he was actually
2: wanting to open his own food truck.
1: Well I knew he wanted his own business and he right. wanted it around right. his passion because when he moved to Houston, he became a foodie, right, really knew a lot about it and loved it, so well, then yeah, I told him he ought to talk to you about some
2: business coaching, yeah, which
1: it was cute because he asked me, i mean, for literal business coaching, so we right. had we had a, a few formal appointments of business coaching, and I loved doing that with him, and I asked him all the questions that a good coach asks somebody about their passion and about what they want to do and their vision and what sacrifices he was willing to make to get there. And I always knew he was a hard worker, so that, that wasn't a question. And I, I had him, I said, who, who has the top two food trucks, top two successful food trucks in Houston? And he said, I don't know. He said, I know which ones I like. And I said, well, that's good, but who has the best? So he did a little research and he came back the next week and he said, I know who the top three are. I know the top one and I know why he's the top one because he did all of his research on him. And I said, do you like it? And he said, I love it. I love the food. I, I love everything about it. So I said, all right, your next assignment is I want you to go and meet this man and ask to purchase an hour of consulting time with him. Tell him you're interested in going into the food truck business. You know, he's the best in Houston. And you're wondering if you could get some time, make sure you don't just ask for the time, make sure you tell him you'll pay him for his time to do it. He went and he introduced himself. He got the guy's card. The guy was very polite. And he said, well, check back with me later. So because it was, he was busy, right? So a couple of weeks had gone by, he hadn't heard from him. And I said, Kevin, write this down somewhere. The fortune's in the follow-up. And he goes, what? And I go, you've got to go see him again. I said, you're not annoying him. He will be impressed that you followed up. So you start out this time and you say, I know you're busy. I value your time, but you are the best in Houston. I need some good advice. And so they went and talked. And what happened was the guy offered him a job. Right. He said, well, why don't you work in the truck? Which I thought was brilliant because he didn't have to take the financial risk and he could see if he really liked doing it. Yeah. So So he
2: went to work for him. Yeah. He gave us two weeks. Yeah, yeah.
1: gave us two weeks to his employer. They thought he was probably out of his mind and they were losing a really good employee. But I don't think he ever looked back. I think that was just it for him. So, yeah, I just remember you've probably talked to him more one-on-one during that time, but he worked hard. And he worked long. Oh, on the food truck? Kevin, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was putting in a
2: lot of hours mm-hmm. doing above and beyond work, you know, just to make it work. Well, they had
1: him what go to the early market to get all the stuff and make all the food. And yeah, it was a big deal. And then they were doing some catering for some exactly, people too, right? yeah. And they're catering for some people you knew. I didn't know who they were, but they were baseball players or somebody. Yeah. I don't know. Right. But football. I don't know. That's yeah. that's not my right, that right. wheelhouse, but some really good catering that he was doing. And then, you know, when he was asking me about that, and he was able to really do each step what I asked him to do. Like, so if you were to purchase a food truck while you're working for this man, you want to know all the ins and outs, the pluses and the minuses. Why does he have this brand of food truck? Why does he have this length of food truck? Why does he serve this particular cuisine? How does he price his cuisine? You're going to ask him every question you can think of. And he was straight up and honest with the guy, I want to have my own truck. So this man was incredibly generous with Kevin and gave him a really good education on all of that and helped him understand really the good, the bad, and the ugly of having a food truck. And food trucks, by the way, do make a lot of money. And uh, the truck does, not necessarily the employee in the truck, but the truck does. And Kevin had a ton, still does, had a ton of respect for this guy and how he how he operated, the contests he went in, the things he did, and the restaurants that he owned and opened and all of that. Right. Yeah. It,
2: you remember that the owner of the food truck was so successful that he ended up opening up a restaurant. Yeah,
1: exactly. And
2: handed over... The food truck to to Kevin. Kevin, Exactly.
1: Inside of about a year. And so now Kevin got to see the backside of someone successful planning a new restaurant, picking a site figuring out the menu, hiring the people, doing all of that. And he had a lot of, I think it fed into his vision. It fed a lot into his vision. So now he he had experience catering, he had experience in the food truck, and he could see up close and personal the restaurant side of things. And as many lives tell this story, the good old pandemic hit. And so here was Kevin, very happy, working incredibly long hours, not getting paid enough money, but it was teaching him so many valuable lessons and letting him really see, is this what I want to do? But when the pandemic hit, catering went away. People weren't having big fancy parties in their homes, as as we all know. The restaurant struggled. It made it, but it struggled and floundered. The food truck floundered and Kevin was asked to work in the kitchen of the restaurant, which was not what he wanted to do. So now he's unhappy. <laughs> now he's thinking, oh. And the pandemic stayed, what, twice as long as any of us could have even dreamed of it being. So he said, am I flaking out by getting out of that, stopping that, and going back into the corporate world. And so he put some feelers out. I'm going to say he put a nanosecond of feelers out before they picked him up. Exactly. I mean, it just felt yeah. like he blinked. He said, I'd like to work for a corporation. And he was hired right away with a incredible benefits package and a 401 and, you know, all the perks of the corporate job. And since then, he has become an incredible employee for them and works from his home and is very, very happy.
2: Right. Yeah. He's he's doing extremely well and he really enjoys what he does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they like him because, you know, Kevin learned a lot from both you and I and how hard we work. And we would always say to him, don't do just what you were hired for. Do that plus a little more. Just always put that little extra piece in. And I think they really see that in him, right? Because he just recently brought good news. Right.
2: Yeah, he came to us saying that he got a promotion just for the simple fact. He went to his employer saying that he thought that he didn't have enough work to keep him busy (laughs) and then so they had an opportunity within the company and then they saw that he was attempting to help the company out more and they said well this guy he's the man you know Mm -hmm. we want to we want to promote him into a national sales
1: yeah from a kid that barely made it through eighth grade to that right yeah (laughs) smart guy. Well, he's so personable. He's, you know, both Cody and he, they are so personable that they're really guys that you like, you know, really tremendous guys that you like. And they brought two fabulous daughter-in-laws into our life. And we couldn't be happier about that. My daughter, Molly, who passed when she was 24 years old, had a few things that were really important to her. One was writing. She was an incredible writer, very gifted, very different, very outside-the-box writing. And so she originally went out to Santa Monica College with dreams of going to UCLA and her health was a constant and never-ending hospital time. So in colleges, a lot of times a little different than other schools. So she'd start a semester, she'd be doing really great. She'd have to be in the hospital for two and a half weeks and they'd say, nope, you have to drop. So it was really, really hard for her in that way. And she definitely had the high intellect. She could learn faster than anybody I've ever seen. But She had a passion for corgis and she was incredible on computers. And, So had she had the opportunity to live her life, I think probably she would have raised corgis and done some kind of doggy daycare in California or something like that. Well, I remember
2: when she was young, you were telling me that she had created this game
1: Oh, yeah. Her entrepreneurial spirit. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. A couple of them, and they were pretty cute, too. So you have to remember that the internet and computers and all this that we couldn't live a day without ourselves now were not around forever. You know, they, they weren't around back in the day. But when she was little and I knew she had such severe compromised physical health, I put her on computers with a computer teacher when she was two and a half years old. Sounds a little extreme. but it was something she could do. So she learned, I mean, she was proficient at computers. By the time she hit nine or 10 years old, every adult I knew was asking her, how to do things on computers, because she knew. And one of the things she learned to do was write code. And she loved a game on the computer that was about adopting. It was an early computer game where kids could go in and adopt dogs, you know, obviously, Not real dogs, but, you know, computer dogs. So these little kids would get on this game and they would adopt all these dogs. But then if the kids got bored with the game, she would see that, you know, Mary had five dogs and Mary hasn't been playing the game lately. And so her dogs are sitting there without food and without playtime without all this stuff, and it would upset her. And I'd I'd check in with reality and say, you do know those are cyber toy dogs, right? You do understand that that kid's not neglecting real dogs. It's not right, mom. They adopt these dogs and they don't take care of them. So she coded and created the first, you know, humane society for these cyber dogs. So now these kids were tuning into her game. She's about 12 at this time. They're tuning into this 12-year-old's game and they're putting their dogs up for adoption and other people are adopting them and she's taking all these sanctuary cyber dogs in. So when we'd get ready to go somewhere, she'd go, I'll be there in just a minute. I have to feed all the dogs. And I'd be like, hurry up. You know, they're not real, right? I have to mom, you know, and she'd go through that. And her other, she didn't monetize any of this. If she had, she'd be a bazillionaire by the time she was 14. But she also did one, she was a big fan of Harry Potter, like big, big fan of Harry Potter. And so she invented a Harry Potter trivia game and it was brilliant. And people from all over the world were playing her trivia game on Harry Potter. And we're not talking how beautifully done games are today and apps on phones. None of that was created. It was all on your mainframe computer. And she'd ask a question and the first person that would answer would get points. And it was amazing how brilliant this game was. And the other day you and I were on, it looked looking at something on TV and up came an ad for, I don't know if it's ABC, CBS, or NBC, yeah. but somebody's for, doing a Harry a game a Harry, for Potter Harry Potter game. Yeah. I know. I thought was so funny. She was so before her time for sure, and I'm sure she would have gone the entrepreneurial route because of her health as much as anything, but also watching me all these years and watching that if you have a passion and you want it and you can figure out what it is that you want to do, then you apply yourself, you know, to take action to do it. So I think she would have been a pretty successful entrepreneur for sure. You know, if you're listening to our crazy podcast and you're thinking you're in one of these slots, you either work for a company and you have the benefits that come with working for that company and that's your career choice. If you work for a state government, you know, as a police fire or teacher or librarian or whatever it is that you do, or you work for a corporation and you're working your way up in corporate speak and corporate language in the corporate game, or you work like Dane does for the federal government. All of those are fantastic. I believe people need to like what they're doing because we spend a tremendous amount of our life, hours of our life at our jobs. All of us do, no matter what your profession or your career is, you spend a huge portion of your life, maybe a third of it sleeping and over a third of it working and commuting back and forth to work. So you need to like what you're doing and do do any of us like our work the same amount every single day? No. We're all human beings. There are good days, not so good days. There are great times at work and there are hard times at work, no matter what you do. There are times it's boring. There's times it's exciting. I mean, all of this kind of stuff. If you're one of the rare individuals who really want to have an entrepreneurial pursuit, I can tell you that I have followed the magazine Success for many years. I love that magazine. It is chock full of great ideas for entrepreneurs, great dot coms to go to, podcasts to listen to, inspirational stories, all of that. There is another one if you own a small business or you're going the entrepreneurial route called Fast Company. And it too is every month has so many good articles and ideas and things for people that are either own a small business themselves or are designing something themselves or working into something. If you have an interest in my Son's Podcast, because you or someone else you know is a endurance athlete or, or a wannabe endurance athlete, their podcast is The Weight Endurance Podcast. So it's the, and then it's W-A-I-T-E Endurance podcast. And it's fun and it's funny and it's informative and very inspirational if you're into uh, mountain biking or road cycling or any kind of endurance running, anything like that. I think that's a podcast you'd probably enjoy. We are sponsored by Hope Through Horses and we're very happy that they do sponsor our podcast. Please go to hopethroughhorses.com to check them out. They provide assistance when needed for people on the tuition for our uh, coaching program. And they also provide provide assistance for populations who want to come and do the gestalt work that my graduates do and need a little money added in to make it possible. And they certainly support our podcast effort here and we appreciate them. We are happy to say that we have the new Whispers from a Horse's Heart deck in-house. We went for a reprint on the deck. I had the first many, many, many thousands (laughs) of decks printed and sold out worldwide I'm one of my most gratifying projects ever. And if you're interested in the deck, it is uh, 52 incredibly beautiful paintings by Jan Taylor, who is not on the planet any longer, very, very dear friend of mine. And Jan was one of the most prolific and beautiful equine artists that I ever knew in my life. My house has seven or, or I guess five now of her originals in it. And the deck, I did the writing, the spiritual writing on the deck and the deck sits anywhere that you want it and you'd a card each day for a little boost of inspiration or ideas from a horse. They do make a great gift for other people. Recently, we sold some to a veterinarian who when they have to euthanize somebody's horse, he gives them a deck. I just think that's the kindest sweetest thing to help them lift themselves back up over a serious loss like that. So, whatever you do with your life or wherever you work, do everything you're being asked to do and a little bit more. And if you ever need anything from us, on entrepreneurial tips or ideas, let us know. You can reach me at Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-A at touchedbyahorse.com. And you can check out our programs at touchedbyhorse.com website. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks baby for this trip down memory lane about our kids. Yeah, and they're
2: doing great. And I am just so grateful. <laughs> me too. Love right. you. Love you too. bye
0: Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303-440-7125. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.